The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. If you have a Bible, we are going to be in uh, the end of Hebrews 4. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, um, chillax, we got uh, the verses on the screen. Um, this morning, I, we're going to be looking at this because uh, we have been preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. And we, as we work through the book of 1 Corinthians, we've been talking about a number of contentious issues, right? If, you, if we've tracked even the last four sermons, we've talked about um, Christian liberty and how that engages alcohol and weed. If you've, we've talked about gender roles, and we have talked about the Lord's Supper, which I'm sure everybody's thinking the Lord's Supper is a Super Bowl of all, all contentious issues. But we've worked through a lot of uh, difficult topics, and... Um, For my own soul's sake, and I thought for ours as well, we should take a very close look at Jesus himself. Not that the passages we've talked about don't talk about Jesus, but because I want us to be constantly veering back to this mission statement of ours of loving Jesus together and keeping Jesus very clear. And so uh, we are, as the title would suggest, the beautiful heart of Jesus Christ going to look at these verses. So let me read these for us, and then we'll pray. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. God, right now we reverse this passage and we begin to come near to the throne of grace to ask for your help to understand it. And we come because we know that you sympathize with people who are on a rainy Sunday morning in the middle of the weekend, sleepy and tired, and maybe exhausted from the week. And we come to you because you are our great high priest. And so we ask that you would give us your grace this morning to see you, to know you, and to love you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. I just want to acknowledge that Christianity is a bit of a difficult religion. Um, Christianity is not exactly uh, the easiest thing to believe. When you are invited to trust in Jesus, the message can feel like here is a 2,000-year-old news headline about a dusty carpenter from the Middle East that did a couple party tricks, was apparently killed, rose from the grave, and now is the king of the entire world. Trust him. That is not exactly uh, what the Bible says, but that is certainly how it can feel at times. And maybe even if you are a believer, a sneaking suspicion that sometimes this is a bit preposterous what we're called to believe in. Because even on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, I struggle, you struggle, because Jesus, I cannot grab him. And yet there's something about him that compels me. We aren't going to be this morning going into all the reasons for faith, so to speak. We aren't going to delve into 
um, how you can trust the Bible. If you want those questions answered, there's a book in the back called The Reason for God by Tim Keller. That is for you to take because it addresses all those things. What this passage does for people like us, 2,000 years later, even 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, it addresses the weakness of our faith. It addresses the weakness of our heart's eyes to see and know and believe in who Jesus is because it is not so much the reasons for why you believe in him that ultimately strengthen your soul. It is actually Jesus himself and who he is that compels your soul to love him. So that's why we're talking about the beautiful heart of Jesus Christ this morning. We are going after the struggles and weakness of our own faith and souls, and we are not presenting reasons, but we're presenting beauty. We are presenting who Jesus is. We are presenting his heart to our souls so that we in our heart's weakness and faith will respond to him. And so what we're going to be doing as we look at this passage, we're going to be a little bit different. Um, typically, the way we preach through things is we will exegete a passage, and that's what we're going to do. We, we unpack it, and we basically open up the suitcase of a passage, and we take out the parts and see how it all works. We are going to do that, but we're going to do a little bit of some theological reflection on the passage as well as we work through this, because there are dynamics going on in this passage that are connected through the whole Bible, and I think there are stories within Jesus' own life that make this passage shine out like neon lights in a dark night to strengthen our souls with who Jesus is. So I just want to acknowledge that personally, and maybe for you as well, um, I come to this morning in this passage uh, feeling very exhausted, feeling very weak, and I'm long, I'm, I've been eager to go through this with you. So here's what we're going to say the main point of this passage is. The beauty of Jesus Christ's heart is seen in his compassion for his people. The beauty of Jesus' heart is seen in his compassion for his people. And we're going to look at that. We're going to ask, how do we see his compassion and heart? How do we see who he is? How do we see the center of his being and his heart of compassion for us? And we're going to first begin to look at that by seeing that we need to be confessing his compassion. How do we see it? How do we turn, train our hearts to see it? Well, first of all, we need to be confessing who he is. Let's pick up in verse 14. Confessing his compassion. Since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Maybe this passage acknowledges some of the most confounding dynamics of the Christian faith, beginning with since we have a great high priest, if you're new to Jesus or you've been a Christian for 20 years, this passage maybe resonates because uh, we know Jesus is great. Even before John Lennon uh, decried it, Jesus is more famous than the Beatles and even, uh, yes, I will acknowledge it, Kanye West, Jesus is more famous than all of these guys put together. He is great. He is amazing. He stands as a, as a towering figure within human history and he is high above everything, and he is a priest. What does that mean? Priests in the Old Testament go from the people into God's presence and back again. They go back and forth, taking the needs of the people into God's presence, receiving God's grace, taking his grace to his people 
who yet again still continue to need his, his need and want and sin and taking their needs before God, going back and forth, back and forth. He is a great high priest. He is above everything. He is in heaven, passed through the heavens, and he is not only just great and high and a priest, but he is ha- also happens to be the son of God, right? The, third, the second person of the Trinity, dwelling in eternity past, creating all things. You can, you can address this and look at this and say, okay, if this is who Jesus is, how does he even know or care about my life's needs? Right, when we think about astronauts swirling in space in the space station, they may see the big picture of the earth, but do they see 293 Wilson Street and the 80 or so people here and all of our needs? I don't think so. And yet, somehow this passage is similar to saying, Jesus, higher than those astronauts, see our most deepest needs. And you wonder, like, how can such a great person like that be so attentive to my needs? <laughs> Similar to, right, I don't know if you're watching the, on, on Netflix, there's a series on Bill Gates. Bill Gates is, you know, obviously one of the most important figures in, the human, uh, in human society right now. He conquers massive issues, thinks about major issues, and yet does he think about the specific issues of 293 Wilson Street or whatever your personal address is? Even... We can look at the beginning of the book of Hebrews where it says, long ago and at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom we saw in his Jesus, whom we appointed the heir of some things. No, not some things, all things. So all of human history, Jesus is the heir of, through whom he not only is the heir of all things, but he created the world. And it goes on to say, he upholds the world by the power of his word. How can this Jesus be said to be our high priest that we then confess and hold on to? Or maybe this idea that he is so big that how can he relate to my needs, to my struggles, to my weaknesses? Sometimes maybe there's a sneaking suspicion that if only I'd seen him when he was alive on earth, if only I'd been around 2,000 years ago and walked with him on the earth, Maybe if I'd seen him turn that water into wine, maybe if I'd seen him raise the dead to life, then my faith would be a little bit stronger because it's hard to believe in somebody this big and so grand, and yet you've never seen him. What I want to do is I want to present a little bit of Jesus' parting words to to us from the book of John to, to give you a sense of how Jesus understands this phrase who passed through the heavens. Jesus, when he is alive, right before he passes, dies in our place, rises from the grave, he gives us these words to help us understand what's happening in that action. We have John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And how does he do this? I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I did not go away, the helper would not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. 
this great reality of Jesus giving us the Holy Spirit, this is a, one of the biggest proclamations about him giving us the Holy Spirit is that when Jesus goes, it's better for us to have the Holy Spirit than Jesus himself present with us. Why is that? If we're saying Jesus is so great and yet he cares for my needs, the Holy Spirit is given to us to fill in that gap. You see, in Jesus' earthly ministry at the end of John 3, it's not on the screen, but in the end of John 3, it says that Jesus was filled with the Spirit beyond measure. Jesus had the Holy Spirit indwelling his life and empowering every aspect of his ministry among us so that as he fulfilled this phrase, the great high priest, everything about his life was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he says, you know what? It's better for you that you get the Holy Spirit in you than you get me present with you. So when he rises and goes to heaven, he then gives us the Holy Spirit to do what? To knit our hearts more deeply to his own. The very spirit that empowered him in his earthly ministry now empowers and dwells among us. The very spirit that lived in every temptation and weakness that he experienced, every suffering, every tear, the Holy Spirit that was in Jesus, now he says, as his greatest gift to us, is in you. He gives us the third person of the Holy Spirit, binding our souls to him, stitching us to him while he is physically absent with us. We are stitched into his heart, which is to say that we require the Holy Spirit to confess who Jesus is. The Bible otherwise says nobody confess Christ as Lord without the Holy Spirit. So when we come here again to verse 14 of Hebrews 14, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Within that phrase is the Holy Spirit knitting our hearts to him because we are weak. People who are strong, they declare, right? People who are strong tell other people what to do. But if you are like me, I am left in the position of having to confess my weakness, confess that I need help, confess that I have messed up and that I do not have my life together and that I can barely get my shoes on in the morning and pay the bills on time. But we have a great high priest who has given us his Holy Spirit to knit us to his heart, to knit us to himself, so that all the strength that we need, we have a priest who has it and gives us his spirit to empower us. And he's not just some high priest. Do you notice this in the phrase here? Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. He's talking about such a great person. But then he says, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. It's like saying Jenny from the block, Jesus from Nazareth, your friend from the pub, who's the guy from your AA meeting that you always talk to? Mark at work, Jesus, him, the guy who built your table, right, the carpenter. <coughs> it is such a personal name. It's not just kind of thrown out. In the midst of talking about how great this Jesus is, he's not only given us his Holy Spirit, but he reminds us, I'm from the block, I know you, 
I know what life is like, and I'm beside you. Right? It, draws, it draws us not into some great God, but it draws us into Jesus himself, him and who he is. His spirit draws us into Jesus so that we can confess his compassion. And then we're going to turn here in verse 15 to seeing his compassion. To not only knowing that it's true about him, to not only knowing that he knows what it's like to be weak and frustrated and tired, but somebody who has given us his spirit to knit us into his own heart so that all of our own struggles and needs are whispered to his ear by the spirit and then we see his compassion and his beautiful heart for us by the Spirit. So we're going to pick up here in verse 15. How do we see his compassion for us? We see his compassion in verse 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Right, this is a, a double negative. Double, double negatives are not like, a, like in English, you say them to underline a point, right? You say, uh, he is not, do we not have such a great high priest who is unable to sympathize, which is to say, we do have this great high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. You see, in Jesus' earthly ministry, um, he did not read books about weakness and suffering and temptation. He experienced weakness and suffering and temptation. What are the things from this last week? We could just list them off. What are the things from this last week where you thought, I really wish I wasn't here. I really wish I was different. I really wish things were better. I really wish things would get be- uh, change. I really wish that I hadn't done that. I really wish fill in the blank. Those are the things that Jesus, it says, experienced so that he could sympathize with you. Not empathize from a distance, not say, oh, that must be very hard. But to sympathize, to get inside the emotional range, get inside the emotional experience of a weak life, right? If you don't have your life together, don't worry. Jesus is right there with you, understanding what it's like to be weak and suffering and tired. So how does this passage lead us into his beautiful heart? I want to take verse 15 and I kind of want to, I want to springboard off of it into a few situations from Jesus' life to put some clothes on the, what this means. Because we could just get up here and say, Jesus knows what it's like to be weak. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer and just kind of leave it at that and kind of leave you to kind of be like, well, what does that mean? Does he know what my weakness and suffering is like? And we could go down a lot of lists. We could go down a list as long as the day is long of all the different types of weaknesses that we experience in life, right? <laughs> Financial weakness, Physical weakness, suffering is just kind of like a blanket term, right? I picked out five, not because they're like special, but just because they're the ones that came to mind. These are five that I want to draw us into is to say the emotional experience of Jesus Christ in this situation is a way in which he comes into your experience and sympathizes with your weakness. And yet, he lives that experience in such a way that he does it without sin with the Holy Spirit, and he understands your, your situation because of the Spirit in your life. So we're going to look at these five as just a way to get a, a window into Jesus' heart of sympathy for us, and I hope these speak to something in your life. I want to draw us to Luke 22. 
This may be a famous situation in Jesus' life. It's the night before he is crucified. It is the night before he dies, and we read of his prayer life here. And he came out and went, as was the custom, to the Mount of Olives, right? He went to his third space, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you do not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat came like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. I look at this and I wonder, it seems to me that the emotional experience of Jesus in this moment is being overwhelmed, bewildered, and afraid. Do you know what it's like to feel overwhelmed, bewildered, and afraid? Do you know what it's like? To be not just kind of like the hustle and bustle of life, right? Jesus knows what it's like to have a lot going on and be on your schedule, right? He traveled for three years, ministering and preaching and teaching, caring for people, healing healing people. He did a lot of that stuff. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about the compounding of all these these situations onto you where you just feel, I cannot rise to the situation. I feel absolutely overwhelmed. I feel absolutely overcome. I do not know how to get through this without something bad happening. Either I'm going to break or the situation's going to break, but something's breaking. Do you know what that that painful experience is to feel so in a bit of a panic? He knew them. He knew that in a much deeper level than we do because he was not only Jesus, but he was also the Son of God in an overwhelming situation. He chose to stay in an overwhelming situation that he knew more deeply than you and I could. He knew what it was like. He knew it was coming, the wrath of God for our sin. He stayed in that overwhelming situation. And I'm sure that he would have experienced the temptation. I can snap my finger and I'm out. He's the son of God. I don't have that superpower, do you? I get overwhelmed with my bills. I get overwhelmed with the things I have to do. I don't have the ability like Jesus to just say, uh, we're just going to, like Thanos, just like rearrange reality here. Jesus did. He stayed in an overwhelming, bewildering situation, embraced the emotion, walked through it without sin so that he can sympathize with your overwhelming bewildering, and scary experience. That is his love for you. That he loves that you are a weak person and he understands how weakness embraces, engages overwhelming experiences. So when you come to Jesus, you aren't coming to him to try to convince him and try to tell him, here's how, here's how overwhelming this is. Like, Jesus, I'm sorry, I know that you're, you're God of everything and that you control all particles in the universe, but right now, for my weak experience, this is overwhelming, and I need to explain this to you. He comes to you and says, oh, sister, I, I know what that's like. 
I hear you. We see maybe another experience of weakness here in the book of Mark with anger at injustice. It's going to frame it like that, anger at injustice, Mark chapter chapter 3, verse 1. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? And they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him with how to destroy him. See, here is Jesus on a Sunday morning. One of God's children comes to him with an ailment, and the pastors of the church are saying, uh, uh, uh. Not, the, the, the policy does not allow for that to happen today. The, the policy manual does not allow for you to heal on a Sunday or Saturday for them. The very people who are charged to care for the people of God, to help them to find God's grace and healing, they're the ones pausing the hand of Jesus himself to heal this man, and Jesus rightfully says, that is wrong. You know that God is a man who heals. God is a God who heals his people, who restores and renews, and you're pausing his hand because of your policy manual? That is wrong. Do you ever have the experience of just saying in a situation, what is happening right now by the powers that be, it is wrong? And you know what Jesus does in this situation? He doesn't change their mind. He doesn't actually, all he does is he heals because he's Jesus. That's what he does. He confronts their injustice. But the powers that be and those who are causing the injustice, they're entrenched in their injustice. They're entrenched in their evil. Do you know what that's like? confront powers of be, to watch it happen for your friend or your family. Jesus knew the pain and anger of seeing people who should be working for your good be so committed to evil. He knows the pain of facing injustice. He knows the weakness of not seeing results. Can you imagine Jesus' emotional experience of that? And then you come to him. Jesus... I don't even know what to do. And how does he respond? Oh, I've been there. Let's look at, let's flip back to Luke 22. We see this again, actually, immediately after his being overwhelmed. Imagine this coming on top. Like, if you ever, like, not only am I overwhelmed, but, like, there's, like, overwhelming waves just keep coming on top of me. Well, not only is Jesus overwhelmed and afraid and bewildered by the cross that is before him, we then see in Luke twenty-two forty-eight, he is experiencing betrayal. And Jesus said to Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Here, you're coming as my friend, as somebody that we've hung out and done a lot of things together. And you're going to betray me with a sign of friendship. Jesus knows what it's like to experience the shock and pain of someone you love revealing their inner character in such a way 
that you're just like left. Do I even know you? Do I even know this person in front of me? I, our experience and this reality cannot possibly go together. That emotional weakness of betrayal, what would you do in that situation? Probably want to punch somebody in the throat, right? That's not, when we get, I want to remind you, in each of these situations, you're feeling overwhelmed. What do you do with over, being feeling, feeling overwhelmed? Whatever our addictions are, whatever our escapism is, whatever's on Netflix, right? I'm just going to check out. What do you do when you're feeling anger at injustice, angry Facebook post, speaking out? What do you do when you feel betrayed? Punch somebody in the face? Yell at your friends? Scream? What does Jesus do? He continues to embrace the emotional turmoil, the weakness of that situation, and does it without sin. So that when you experience that, his heart for you is absolute compassion. Are you tracking with me with watching this? We're going to pick up here in, verse, in Matthew 13. Maybe this is surprising to you considering that Jesus created all people, but Jesus is very familiar with what it's like to feel lonely. The, weak, the sin and temptation, the weakness of feeling lonely. Matthew 13 53, and when Jesus had finished saying these parables, he went away from there and coming to his hometown, right, the hood, where he's from, he taught them in their synagogues, and they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not welcome, is not without honor, except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not get him, and he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Where are you from? I mean, I'm, my dad's military, so I grew up all over the place. I'm like generally from everywhere. I mean, from the city? I mean, maybe from the west side, from the east side. People who know your name. Imagine going home and then being like, get out of town, man. That's what Jesus is experiencing here. It's not that he's at, yeah, he's at home, quote unquote. But nobody's welcomed him. I would say that that experience is loneliness. Here I am where I should be welcomed, where I should be comfortable, where people should be accepting me and welcome me. And this is where I should be at home and my family. And these are the closest people that I should have in my life, and they've rejected me. I can only imagine that Jesus feels lonely in this situation. Nobody understands him in this passage. Nobody wants to understand him, and they take offense at him. Jesus knows the pain of those who should be your close friends fail, falling through, even your family, right? Even the family they listed out, none of them are welcoming Jesus to the dinner table. He knows the pain of lonely thoughts at night in his hometown when he should be welcomed merely as Jesus down from down the block. He knows what it's like to have your friends forget you, ignore you, maybe even members of the church forget you and ignore you. And Jesus knows what it's like to be lonely so that when you come to him, Jesus, my church, maybe even your pastor, your family, They've all let me down, and I feel so alone. 
And Jesus looks at you and he says, I, brother, sister, I, I know what that's like. Last one, and then we'll keep moving on. Jesus knows what sadness feels like. John 11, this is at the death of his, son, his friend um, Lazarus. This is maybe one of the more famous Bible passages, maybe just simply because verse 35 is two words, and people say, I've memorized a verse. Jesus wept, and now they've got a verse memorized. But 11.33, when Jesus saw her weeping, this is Lazarus' sister, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come here and see. And Jesus wept. That phrase there in verse 33, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. That takes up about eight words in our English translation. It's one word in the Greek. It's a word that talks about this deep inner anguish of soul, this bone-rattling cry that comes from the depths of who we are. Has that ever been your experience? Have you ever cried so deeply, felt so sad that you feel like when you let it out that your very bones are rattling with anguish? That is what Jesus experienced when he saw his friend's grave. Remember, this is the Son of God who will in a few moments raise his friend from the grave. So Jesus, why are you feeling so sad? Because he sympathizes with our weaknesses. He sympathizes with what it's like just to be human, to see death and be in a situation where things are not right and things are sad and to feel like I, it's overwhelming and it is deep within me. And this is an anguish in my heart. Maybe it's been a friend's death. Maybe it's been a spouse's, spouse's death. Maybe it's been the destruction of a marriage or a family. Something so sad that you feel like it is overwhelming and all-consuming. And it says here that Jesus knows that. He has experienced that emotion. While he wept over his friend's grave like a man, he raised him from the grave like a god. He himself, though he was the hope of life, felt the pain and grief of sadness. So I want to pull us back to Hebrews 4. Can we go back to Hebrews 4 and remind ourselves of what we've been talking about? Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. I've just picked out five areas of human existence and human weakness that I could come up with. Read through a gospel today. And consider what's the emotional life of our Lord so that when you experience those things, you are knowing that he experienced similar things, right? The details are all going to be different, right? Same, uh, same tune, different verse, right? D- Jesus did not have a mobile phone, so he doesn't know what it's like to have your friends slander you on Facebook. But he does know what it's like to have your friends slander you, you know? So when we come to this verse and we see that we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, I want you to connect the dots. He gave you the Holy Spirit who filled him in each of those experiences. So now the Holy Spirit is in your soul and in your life 
so that when you walk through similar experiences of weakness, whatever they are, there are two things that are true. The Spirit is whispering those experiences to Jesus himself. And Jesus himself knows what those experiences are like. Are you seeing his compassion for you? It is broader and deeper and more majestic and more marvelous than any counseling session could ever be. (laughs) It is the richest, compassionate heart that anybody would ever have for you, right? A good counselor will come to you and say, here's how I hear your experience so that you feel heard, right? That's a part of what, not the only thing a good counselor does, but that's a part of what a counselor does. Be able to say back your experience so that somebody understands what's going on in your life. (laughs) You have Jesus, the great high priest, the one who upholds the power of the universe, who speaks it into existence, who has walked through your experience in such a way that when he sees your weakness and struggle, he can speak back your experience in a way that nobody else can. His compassion for you is deeper and wider and more beautiful and lovely than anything you will ever find in any other person. He gets you. So now we're going to turn to verse 16, and we're going to talk about how do we receive his compassion. And we'll close with this. Verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Maybe this just kind of flows as like the natural, maybe this is where your heart goes with, if that's who Jesus is, if that's the beautiful person that he is, then I definitely want to go to him. But verse 16 just says it on the outside so that we can feel it on the inside. But there's a deeper reality here than just simply being go to Jesus. The only people who go to God in the Bible are priests. And so now you've had Jesus who's said to be the high priest who goes to God on our behalf. And then if you were to go from Leviticus 9 um, and 1 Peter 2, you would see that you yourself as a, as a believer in Jesus are called a priest to take all of the things that you struggle with to him to get grace for what you need. You see, priests come near to God. Priests have access to God. Priests have privileges with God. Our weaknesses tend to tell us that we are forgotten, unimportant, unable, and a bit of a waste of time. Priests, that is not true about them. You, Christian, have access, privilege, and even a right to get grace for your needs in time of struggle. And this verse is telling you the heart of Jesus for you in time of need is overflowing, spirit-filled, spirit-entwined compassion for you. So when you come to this week, what are the things that you feel are going to be describing your weakness of experience? What are the things this week that you're just going to be like, I just don't know if I can do this, I don't want to do it again? This verse invites you to see Jesus' beautiful heart for you and his compassion for you and his commitment to you that you would get the things that you need so that you get more of him.
the magnitude of his person and heart invites you to free and broken prayer before him. You're not trying to convince him. You're coming to him as your deepest friend. You're not trying to win him over. He has actually won you to himself and is eager to give you what you need. I hope that as we've looked at this and reflected on this passage, you're beginning to get a taste in your heart of who Jesus is, right? This is why we're here. We're not here to give pastors commendation. We're not here to hear great songs sung. We are not here to fill a space on a Sunday morning. We are here because Jesus' beautiful heart for you is to give you his compassion and to be your Lord and friend through every moment of our weakness and our life together. Amen? Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are a great high priest, the great one, and you are the Son of God. And so we confess your compassion for us, and we see it in your life and how you've lived in our experience, you've put on our experience. And so whatever comes to our hearts and minds today, Lord, feeling our deep need, we come to you and ask, give us a taste of your beautiful heart for us. Draw us into your heart for us, Jesus. We ask this because you are our great Savior and Lord and our friend. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.